This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. This is Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. Today in studio, I have with me David Donaldson, who's the CEO of the Atlanta Healing Center. Welcome, David. Hi, Susan. Glad to be here. So glad to have you. I think this is a very important and interesting topic that we're going to discuss today, and that's women and addiction and recovery, uh, different paths and different treatments. And I think that far too long, this subject has been rolled in to major discussions about addiction and recovery, and that it's been far too long that we have not necessarily recognized and then moved forward in changing some of our treatment strategies to address the special needs that women have who have this addiction. So I'm uh, excited to talk about it today, and I was really kind of got the idea about it from reading um, a story that was published in the Rolling Stone. Not that I read the Rolling Stone on a regular basis, but um, had read this story about Amy Winehouse. Okay. This is the month anniversary, the fifth year anniversary of her death. It's hard to believe that it has uh, been five years. And her family, as a way to you know, pay tribute to her and to honor her memory, have opened a 12-bed recovery house for women who have addiction. This is in London, and it serves as a shelter and provides services, hoping to better integrate women into society, back into their communities after battling addiction. The Amy Winehouse Foundation decided to start the home after discovering how few services were actually available and certainly dedicated to women. As you know, Amy Winehouse herself, very famous for a number of songs, but They Tried to Make Me Go to Rehab is probably (laughs) the one that most people think about when they think about rehab, and her long struggle with addiction and alcoholism that finally took her life at a very early age, well, before her years at 27, the magic age for musicians to die of their disease of addiction. Definitely a talk in and of itself looking at that magic age, but... but the, the struggle that everybody watched in in Amy's own experience going in and out of rehabs and, and her um, sh- struggle fighting the system and, and keeping her image intact and yet losing her life um, really, I think, highlights how important this is, that, that women so often are just treated like men when it comes to addiction. Everybody's in the same group. Everybody's mm-hmm. expected to do the 12 steps of recovery and jump in and and just um, um, walk right through the process of recovery as if one alcoholic's the same as the next and in particular that that men and women are the same when it comes to uh, drunks need to be abstinent so they can be sober and that's this that and and why make fuss about all this other stuff when we know that there are so many different dynamics involved there really is and this this particular uh, recovery home 
was started by Jane Winehouse, who is Amy's stepmother and a trustee of the Winehouse Foundation. And she says, quote, This project will make such a profound difference to so many young women, enabling them to have a safe environment in which to rebuild their lives and put into practice all the learning they have acquired through their treatment journey. Fresh starts are difficult to make, full of challenges, but at Amy's Place, we will give young women the tools and support to help make this a reality. I think that's a a fitting tribute and, again, a very important point, pointing out that, as you said a moment ago, we really do need to look at the differences. There are many similarities, obviously, but there are also a number of differences and important ones that have a big impact on whether an individual is really going to be able to be successful in their recovery. Um, that highlighted that there's very few women's services, um, and I'm, I'm assuming that that really is looking at England. Yes. Um, because we do know that there are quite a few um, gender-specific programs here in the United States and, and some very reputable ones that, that we've um, referred to and done so much of the research mm-hmm. that, that you've been looking at for this talk today. Um, um, so it is not something that's just been ignored over here, but still something that's really important to highlight. It, it is, and I think part of this goes way back in the beginning of the treatment of addiction and certainly with the development of many of the programs for addiction treatment, we're focused on men. When we think about Hazelden and we think about Karen, we think about many of these places that have been around for 60, going on 70 years now, they were started at a time where the belief really was that few women had the disease of addiction. And I think I've said many times probably on this program that when I was in training and we were looking at what are the risk factors for developing the disease of addiction and what should you look for and be aware of in your patients, the first one was being male. That we were taught if you're a man, then that 25% higher chance of becoming an alcoholic than if you were born not male. Not male. We now know, certainly through the Monitoring the Future studies, that since about 2009, we're seeing that in the younger ages, the 15 to 35 age groups, there's very little difference in the, the number of men versus women coming in for treatment. Certainly, there are a number of types of drugs and chemicals that women prefer to use and become addicted more quickly to than men, but for the most part, the numbers are pretty even. Mm-hmm. So that old thinking and teaching and developing of treatment programs was based on a model for, let's face it, white middle class males, at least here in the United States. And out of that has come some very good basic tenets of the 12 steps of uh, AA and other 12-step programs that are very helpful and very useful in helping people get and stay sober, but they did not take into account some of the special needs and some of even the difficulty with language that we see with women. The language that is used in 12-step creates a lot of difficulty for some women. 
Absolutely. I mean, the the 12 steps themselves repeatedly use the word he. They talk about a, a, a paternal mm-hmm. um, deity figure towards the the, the um, necessity to stay sober and finding a higher power. Real often they'll say higher power, but a lot of times they'll say God, and, and women will have reactions to, to that. They'll have reactions to... Um, once again, being placed in a powerless situation right. when that's an issue that they've dealt with for for so long in their own in their own lives, and and although there is certainly a place of coming to recognize powerlessness over that substance, um, finding ways to address it and, and phrase it that that aren't assaulting um, the person is crucial. It really is. The word surrender is often used. I need to surrender. I am powerless. I need to turn my will over. And for many women, that has been the story of their lives. Mm. Because one of the things that we certainly know about women who have the disease of addiction and who are more likely to find themselves in treatment, they've often experienced violence in their life. They've often been in relationships that have been abusive and they've often been in situations in which other people really are controlling them, sometimes literally controlling them. And it creates quite a bit of stress and difficulty for women to then think, how is this going to be helpful to me again (laughs) to keep doing the same things over and over again? Isn't that the definition of insanity, to expect a different result? So even the language, I think, has created some barriers. Certainly, it's off-putting in the beginning. David, you're absolutely right. Well, and it's it's kept the focus... um I mean, it's just neglected a lot of the the real issues that mm-hmm. women experience in in a recovery setting. I think about the um, the classic education that that family programs have in treatment centers all over the place is the looking at the family roles: the hero, the scapegoat, the mascot, and the lost child. But when they look at the two parents in that scenario. They always look at a male alcoholic and a female enabler, right? And they always talk about her doing all of these things to to keep him propped up in his addiction and to keep the four children um, from from killing themselves while living in this this situation. Um, but they don't really recognize her needs as a human being, and they never look at what the situation would be if she were the alcoholic. Um, and he were the enabler, or if, if in fact, they're both alcoholics in the situation. And, and we actually see both those dynamics yes. very regularly. And the more tragic one that we tend to see is is when the mom is the alcoholic in that family setting, um, um, she's real regularly just replaced. <laughs> right. Instead of getting treatment, instead of any anything services to, to help her in that situation, when she's not able to fulfill her role as the enabler, um, another person is brought in. And often we see that men coming in for addiction treatment, their spouse generally stays with them. Hopefully they both get into a recovery program and their marriage and their lives together are improved. 
if the woman has the disease of addiction, it is very likely that she's not only going to struggle getting into recovery, but that she's also going to you lose that relationship. And in fact, that's one of the things that women are often afraid of, that if they go to treatment, if they get sober, they are going to lose the relationship with their loved one, that they're not going to have the, con- the same kind of support that we see when it's a male in a male-female relationship that has the disease of addiction. Mm -hmm. It's really sad, but it's often quite true and leads to many of the other barriers that we see around women seeking treatment. Women tend to have a lower education level. This is in general, of course, but when we look at the statistics of the women coming into treatment, we see women lower education, we see lower socioeconomic status, they often are working in jobs that may be hourly paying jobs, many times they don't have access to or adequate health care coverage to pay for their treatment, and that often the the burden of child care and the burden of the duties of the home will play a big role in pulling that woman away from treatment and often away from recovery. Um, Yeah, as you were talking about that, I'm actually thinking about how many women that we've worked with that that actually do have um, um, a college education. Right. Probably not many that have a master's, um, some that have worked towards a master's, but rarely do we see them actually working in their field. Right. Um, they, they've um, taken jobs to uh, allow them to continue to help raise the kids and be a part of the family, and, and they aren't really particularly working in the field they studied towards. And many of them have been out of the working um, uh, working world, and they don't have a firm landing when they leave treatment in terms of how am I going to support them myself, especially if I've lost my spouse or my relationship. We're going to take a break now. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the differences in treatment and recovery for women. Thanks for listening. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. 
You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Today, I have David Donaldson in studio with me, and we're talking about women and addiction and recovery, the different progression of the disease, the different path of recovery, and the different ways in which we might need to consider changing the treatment plan or adapting the um, the recovery options for women. So often, as we talked about in the first um, segment, addiction treatment programs have developed around meeting the needs of the male person with the disease of addiction. And it was assumed for many years, as we saw more and more women coming into treatment, that one one size fits all. Like so many of the medical studies that we see, Women are more challenging to include in a medication trial because women have menstrual cycles and women have the risk of becoming pregnant. So many medications, actually, are studied almost entirely in a male population. And how that medication is actually going to work for a woman whether or not there are going to be differences because of size and liver processing and the impact of those very hormones, whether that's going to change, make the medication more effective, less effective, we don't know the answer to those questions. But now more and more as women are coming into treatment, we're seeing that we do need to recognize that there are some differences. Right before, we were talking about some of the barriers to treatment, and they are uh, unfortunately pretty significant, and often, um, often we see these barriers really do limit the success that the woman's going to have in her recovery. Most women have fewer sessions of addiction treatment. They're more likely to leave treatment prematurely. They're more likely to have psychiatric complications than a man. They're more likely to have chronic pain than a man. They're often exposed to HIV and hepatitis in different ways than men are because a woman often has a difficult time asking for the use of a condom in a sexual encounter, and the woman may be much less likely to refuse to share a needle 
if the person who is wanting to share the needle with her is a male with whom she's had a relationship. So m- more likely to have some medical complications, more likely to have cognitive impairment. Than but, and it, with those last two points, really speaking towards a woman really having a hard time having her voice and saying no in a situation, um, we'll even see a big, a big factor in their relapse is it, when they get to a point of being beginning to date again or to have a romantic situation that saying no to a drink or saying no to using um, in a situation in a romantic situation becomes a place where they would they still don't have a voice exactly and so jumping ahead just a little bit I think that speaks to some of the ways in which addressing re-entry issues and recovery issues are really important for women learning mm-hmm. to find the voice learning to say no, uh, working on self-esteem issues that make the woman less concerned about her own safety than hurting someone else's feelings or risk um, the man leaving the relationship. Not so, not so good. But that's that's for later. That's for later. <laughs> this part, looking at, at differences in them when they're entering into um, a program, the aspect that you were talking about, about then them um, going from getting drunk to getting consequences and, and having uh, a major situation come up happening so much faster, real often what we'll experience is that that's a real shock to the family system, mm-hmm. that this has been a, a very good mom. You know, and, and taking care of getting the kids to school and picking mm-hmm. the kids up and and doing the um, scout leadership and all of those things where they've been incredibly responsible. Um, and it just, to the entire family system, seems like it came out of nowhere that at this age she decided to have a glass of wine and next thing you know she's getting drunk and she's falling down on her duties. And, and there becomes a real um, anchor at at her mm-hmm. for no longer being the good mom right. and for being um, um, becoming someone who just wants to run around and have a good time. That's a that's a real important phenomenon that we call telescoping, where women tend to develop the disease, the dependence much more quickly than men and move from manageable, whatever that is, manageable use to being in trouble and really needing treatment much more quickly than men. There's a lot of different theories for that. Sometimes it is related to hormones. There are certain periods (laughs) in a woman's menstrual cycle. There are certain times at which her cravings are going to be worse. Uh, That tends to be the second half of the cycle. They're going to have more cravings just related to the changes of their hormone system. They're going to have a more difficult detox, a more difficult withdrawal. If they go into treatment or they decide to give up drinking, smoking, or using drugs in the last half of their period than if they chose to do it in the first half of their period. So we see that there is that effect. We also know that the enzymes in the stomach, for example, that break down alcohol are missing for women. Men have some of these enzymes, and so therefore they can drink more 
without having so much alcohol actually get into their bloodstream because they're breaking some of it down already in their stomach. It doesn't have to wait, go through the system, and be broke, broken down in the liver. So women can get intoxicated more quickly. They also have a lot more difficulty actually breaking down alcohol. And because women have more body fat mm-hmm. and more fluid in their system, they often will have higher um, blood alcohol levels than men, even if you take into consideration size and amount drink that, that they have drunk. So it is a big problem for women. They will have a lot more exposure to their brain and their liver with alcohol, for example, that is toxic exposure than with men. And we'll see them developing liver disease and cognitive dysfunction much more quickly than men at over a much shorter period of time with less exposure of alcohol. So that makes for some um, interesting and challenging situations. It's uh, it's also interesting to think about what that actually presents as mm-hmm. when they have this toxic effect, mm-hmm. in particular on their brain. Um, what we tend to see just from a from a in a group setting or individual setting mm-hmm. is that they might be, you know, for lack of a better word, ditzy, or mm-hmm. or. Um, excitable or anxious or um, just really um, emotional in Mm -hmm. a way that, that, you know, males tend to want to pull back from. (laughs) Males tend to want to kind of calm down and squelch and tell Mm -hmm. them to breathe and relax. And and, um, this is happening in part because of the effect, the the direct effect of alcohol on the brain. Um, I think also in part as, as their own survival defenses in Mm -hmm. in the system but figuring out is this because of the alcohol or is this how they're learning to survive becomes um, part of the puzzle very very big part of the puzzle when we look at um, at the differences between men and women uh, we find that women are much more likely than men to have difficulty giving up nicotine even though they um, smoke this um, fewer cigarettes per day than most men they have more mood changes nicotine gives them a a positive mood that is greater than it affects the men. And when you take nicotine away, they're going to suffer a lot more from depression and their concern about weight gain is very real. So even though they don't smoke as many cigarettes Mm -hmm. as men, we're seeing more women die of COPD and lung cancer now than men. Because their bodies are more more likely to have that consequence? Um, not only the consequence, but because they find it much harder to stop or reduce the amount of nicotine. They have a harder time stopping. It, it's interesting because they also, the studies are showing they start sooner. Yes. And for that reason, because they can smoke rather than eat, and they can eat a small amount and then have a cigarette, and they feel satiated, mm-hmm. um, and, and it keeps them from having to worry about weight gain. And that's another really important motivator, David, that you've just mentioned. Women are much more likely to use cocaine at a younger age than men, and they're more likely to become addicted to cocaine. They're more likely now to use prescription 
drugs or prescription medications, particularly amphetamines. Some of this it has been created for them because of their desire to lose weight or to maintain a lower weight. And often women are more likely to get these prescription drugs from their doctor than are men. Whether that's because women are more likely to ask for them than men is a question. But certainly women often will start, mothers will start borrowing their children's Adderall or their children's Ritalin as a way to help them get through the day, help them get the laundry done and the house cleaning done, and to help them lose weight. That's their initial motivation to try amphetamines or cocaine in many cases, certainly not all, but many cases, and far too often they find out that they have another problem, which is the disease of addiction, and now that has has taken over. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are, they are real young learning to um, regulate their body systems with chemicals and and one of the one of the treatment goals that we have to look at is being able to self regulate and self soothe which is something they've they tend to push back to the back because they have other priorities and other things they need to take care of first and because of this, um, this increasing um, pressure and challenge and all of these crazy beliefs about what society is going to hold as the standard for the women, we see women sometimes put in double binds and making poor choices around their health and exposing themselves to dangerous chemicals and suffering more from the disease of addiction. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about the differences between men and women and addiction and recovery. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one, can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 
and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and I have David Donaldson with me. He's the CEO of the Atlanta Healing Center, and we're talking about women and addiction and recovery. We've talked a little bit about the differences between men and women, some of the different challenges and the barriers for women in terms of accessing treatment and in trying to make their way through recovery and get back on their feet and back into their community and with their families. We've talked about the differences in terms of the physiology of women and their tendency to become more rapidly addicted and have more serious physical and psychological problems related to their drug and alcohol use in a shorter period of time than we see men using the same drugs in the same or equivalent amounts. This presents, again, a number of challenges because, as you mentioned, David, it's often surprising to the family members how quickly women can go downhill, how quickly they can develop not only the classic addictive behaviors that are often troublesome for their loved ones, but their physical and their emotional problems worsen and um, and or develop over this period of time, often very quickly and complicating the treatment process. So, so you had also mentioned the issue related to gender separate treatment. Now, there's some controversy about that, about whether or not that is more or less um, helpful, but I think in many ways we can see women being much more likely to accept treatment at a gender-separate, gender-specific treatment program. I I think that the, the ability to get to a place of feeling safe and feeling able to start opening up happens quicker in that setting. Um, there's so many social pressures in a, a mixed gender setting that just happen that that um, you can easily see somebody falling back into the same role they were in high school when they're yes. in competition with the other girls or other women in the room for the attention of, of the male clients mm-hmm. and recognizing that this is a recovery place and, and that everybody really is, is learning how to um, manage emotions and how to ground themselves and how to live life without chemicals. Um, but they're, they're struggling with these old dynamics that have just been a part of how they've coped um, and, and, and brought right into the treatment experience. So they don't have to deal with that in a, in a mixed gender setting and they can get right to the process of, of, um, self-regulation and self-soothing and, and, and working a program. Um, I was noticing and looking at some other programs that that are out there. Um, much of the work that they'll have women doing initially is is really kind of um, self empowering and um, um, developing self reliance and helping them to feel like they can actually stand up and speak for themselves. And, and my initial reaction is is always. 
wait, wait, wait. <laughs> we have to learn to be able to trust others and mm-hmm. express our needs and, and be able to express what we, um, in working a we situation. Um, but the, that, so I find myself often thinking that, okay, this therapist wants this person to be much stronger. Right. <laughs> but, but this therapist isn't going to go back to living in their family system, and, and we need to figure out where they're at first. Exactly. And I think, again, that goes back to uh, some of the differences in how to approach women versus the more standard uh, treatment as usual addiction treatment, which has been focused on a, a male um, a male patient and a male-dominated society. So It was it was interesting when um, you were first talking about that and some of the talks that you've done about how all of the research has been done with males. Um, I'm not sure if it's something you said or if I read shortly thereafter that even the rats that they're using yes. to do all of the research <laughs> on, sub, on medications and treatment, even the rats are all male. Right. Because it was easier to take care of rats than it was that we're all male than it was to deal with female issues in a rat population. Right, and because the rat reproductive cycle is even shorter than the the, the human, um, we would see that they were much more concerned and cautious that, oh, wait, we may have a pregnant rat on our hands that we didn't know about yesterday. So, yes, even the rats, and people may be wondering, rats, really? Well, actually, rats brains and human brains uh, are very similar when it comes to the addiction portion of the brain. What's different is that we've got all the cortex out separating uh, that part of our brain from our skull, and it's much easier to study a rat that doesn't have the cortex and all the additional layers of the brain that a human does. Mm -hmm. They can really have greater access and greater viewing, if you will, of the rat brain, but they're, they're almost identical. And so a lot of research is actually in addiction and in other um, illnesses, but in addiction in particular is done with rats. I was, I was surprised um, also when you were talking about the, and you talked about how women are more often have medications thrown at them, right. that part of what you had talked about was that this is actually happening from women doctors. Yes. Because my, my impression has always been that when a woman goes into a doctor's office and she's having pain and she's complaining about a pain, a male doctor is going to have a lower tolerance for a woman in pain and want to give her something to fix that and and help move her on out of the office quicker but that's not necessarily no. the experience male doctors are much more likely to give male patients pain medication i think they can have a greater empathy for oh my sore back from cleaning the yard or taking down the Christmas tree than um, they are for the woman who they're more likely to give them benzodiazepines. They're more likely to give them something to shut them up rather than to help them. So, for example, middle-aged women have the highest rate of prescriptions of things like Xanax or Valium or Clonopin, these medications that just calm you down, sweetie, uh, rather than taking their their complaints of pain or their complaints of other kinds of problems more seriously. And I'm not saying that 
everybody does that, but in general, we see statistically that women get more pain medicine from women doctors, and women get more benzodiazepines from men doctors, and overall, women get more benzos by far than do men. Than do males. So they're getting what we know as a minor tranquilizer, something that's going to just kind of put the brain a little bit to sleep, Mm -hmm. um, and then have them out of the office. Exactly. Quickly. So that goes back to the idea of the the treatment for women. One of the things that we know is common to all people coming into addiction treatment is the sense of guilt and shame. They have all kinds of ideas about what this addiction means to them and how they quote, caught it, end quote, that they just need more willpower or they need to be stronger or whatever it is, and that this is a a personal failing. And while we see that true for all, both genders, women and addiction have a higher level of shame. This idea that Boys will be boys, and men can go out and have a good time, and we wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and we don't have such a a disparaging view of that. When it comes to a woman being intoxicated in public, there's a whole lot more looking the other way, not giving them the wink, wink, nudge, nudge, pat on the back way to go, but a lot more of um, uh, judgment, judgment and ridicule yes. and talking about them. The, the male denial system um, tends to really be intact and really strong until they lose their job or until their, their addiction impacts their job. But, but that's not the same for women. The, yeah. And the sense of shame, I think, was illustrated for me really clearly when um, my mentor um, in addiction treatment, Dr. Um, Doug Talbot, used to talk about uh, women and alcoholism. And he used to say, there's never a joke that starts out with a woman walked into a bar. That... It is such a taboo thought that a woman would be an alcoholic or that a woman would be an addict that we can't even make fun of it. We can't even have a joke about it. It is so far removed from what is acceptable and what could be an entertainment. And that sense of shame really is profound for women, and it stays with them for a long time, and it's a big problem for them in terms of relapse, which we're going to talk about in in a few minutes, but that idea about shame and helping women understand how they're feeling and finding words for those feelings and finding acceptance Mm -hmm. um, among other women and other people in recovery is a really important way for the woman to begin to address those issues of shame and then to begin to be able to build up their self-esteem by doing things that increase self-esteem, by doing esteemable things. So that process of of beginning to make it safe to walk through shame Mm -hmm. without becoming um, a trauma center or without becoming a shame-focused place and still keeping the focus on addiction treatment... um, Part of part of what we always deal with is that in an addictive home, the the rules 
pushed on people are don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. And and so through using education as a means of getting people to just start talking in general terms about these were the norms in, in our family and, and, you know, that it wasn't okay to talk about feelings and that feelings were always wrong and that if you were going to um, – <clears throat> cry about everything then you might as well just go talk to your mother that those those just to be able to just start normalizing that and getting them to a place where they Mm -hmm. can talk about those feelings without having to talk about it being their own personal experience initially as they're finding their voice very important and helping them get grounded and feel safe is really the first step and a really important step in their recovery. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little more about recovery and also about relapse. Thanks for listening. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. This is Detailing Addiction. I have David Donaldson with me from the Atlanta Healing Center, and we're talking about women, addiction, recovery, and uh, treatment differences. Men and women do have different needs, and they certainly often find themselves feeling more comfortable in gender-specific groups to talk about some 
particular topics. Women uh, have reported that they feel much more comfortable talking about issues related to sexual abuse, to violence, um, to problems that they have had within their relationships problems in which they have felt like they have failed as a partner or as a mother or as a friend. Relationships tend to be much more of the focus of women as they're talking about their treatment than they do about men. Men seem to be more focused often on their job, their career, getting back to school, their athletics. These are the things that um, take up a lot of their discussion time. Not that relationships don't, they do, but women really identify themselves by their relationships. Yeah. I mean, men can spend a lot of time talking about the stories of using and the stories Mm -hmm. of the regaling in in the 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 war stories right which you have to kind of keep that in check um but in terms of talking about me and my best friend really sat down and we just got really close and opened up about all of these deep emotions <laughs> isn't something that they're ever they're gonna going to that. acknowledge yeah. maybe had a great game of of chess or checkers or something <laughs> right. but um um, but women absolutely need to be able to open up with their their peers. I mean, they they have got to have women, other women in their mm-hmm. life that they're able to talk with and connect with. Because um, you know, as as you often talk about, stress is is a big factor mm-hmm. for women, um, um, and and certainly one that leads them to relapse. Part of what I've noticed is that that women. When they're under stress, if they're in a relationship, will feel like they have got to deal that that has to be dealt with with the person they're in the relationship with, and they'll cut off their support system, mm-hmm. which sets them up for that relapse because addiction isolates and the relationship isolates. And when women are under stress, they're they're lost. Right, they're much more likely to be in a situation where they are going to. Um, lose that the wisdom of the group and the support of other women who have been through similar kinds of situations and they will have a much greater um, struggle and be more likely to relapse if they are under this kind of stress. There was such an interesting study that was done at Yale University um, and reported in um, the American Journal of Psychiatry back in 2014. This study looked at men and women who were in recovery from cocaine use. And they had, I believe it was 50 men and 50 women. These um, folks had been through treatment and were stable in their recovery. They were invited in to have interviews with psychologists at um, Yale University, and they were asked to answer two questions. The first question was, tell me how and when and under what circumstances you would use cocaine. What was that like? How did you use it? Did you smoke it? Did you inject it? Did you snort it? What kind of paraphernalia did you have? Did you use it by yourself? Did you use it with people? Really looking for the details in some detail about how they use the drug. The second question they were each asked was to talk in 
detail about a recent very stressful situation, a stress, a situation that upset them, that worried them, that caused them some anxiety and distress. And to talk about that and who were you with and where were you at and how did you feel, those kinds of things. So they had these two storylines on each individual. And then they put them in a functional MRI machine, which looks at the brain's actual activity. And in this case, they were looking at dopamine release. So when they um, put the men in the functional MRI and they described back to them the details about how they used the drug, what paraphernalia they had, who did they use it with, what was their experience with that. The men's brains lit up all over the place, and the men would describe themselves as having cravings, craving for the drug. When they explained the same kind of situation back to the woman, they're in their own words, um, their um, drug use history, their women's brains lit up a little bit, but not very much at all. Then when they had them in the functional MRI machine and they talked to them about their recent most stressful situation where they were overwhelmed and anxious and having lots of different emotions, the women's brains lit up all over. The men's brains lit up very little. And the women described that hearing this story of their recent stressful event created for them really bad cravings to use cocaine. Men did not describe having cravings to use cocaine when they were regaled with their recent stressful situation. So women's brains really light up and their trigger often for wanting to use again is this uncomfortable, unpleasant feeling of being anxious and being under a lot of stress. That's not for men. Well, and it's it's so crucial with that in light that in light that in mind is to stop and really look at what is stressful for the individual woman, and and um, for because for some women, having to deal with being alone is an amazingly stressful situation. For some, having to um, to go out with her family to a, to a wedding or some sort of occasion is going to be the stressful situation. So to let them know that we know this is going to be very, very stressful and your brain is going to start um, whispering to you, I need a drink or I need something to take me out of this situation, um, much more likely than it would to a male right. dealing with those stressors. So when we think about it, women... Often, usually, not always, but often, use drugs to take um, them, um, to help them cope with a bad situation, to help make a bad situation tolerable. Men often use drugs to take a good situation and make it a better situation. So they use drugs to enhance a good feeling. Women use drugs to numb out an intolerable Mm -hmm. feeling. And but in that same treatment experience, the woman is going to sit there and tell you that it's not going to be too stressful, that she'll right. be fine, that she's already got um, all of these things in place so mm-hmm. that it's going to be wonderful. And she'll put on a, a, a smile to let you know that, that she's going to be okay. 
minimizing the reality that the stress is going to be um, a big factor. Right, because she doesn't want to be seen as being unable to handle her responsibilities and her relationships. So, again, it goes back to that whole idea of I've got to be perfect, I've got to be quiet, I can't. Uh, I'll, I'll figure out how to get through this somehow, and asking for help is really hard. It's hard for everybody in recovery, mm-hmm. but it's really hard around these situations where the person feels like I should be able to do this. And part of why I think it's so crucial that that in particular is looked at is because my experience is that women have a much harder time coming back from a relapse mm-hmm. um, than men do. They might come back, but they have a harder time keeping um, they continually will slip. Right. They'll have a lot more slips if they've had one slip um, than, than you'll experience with with men. And I don't know if that dynamic is that men just don't come back <laughs> after a slip. And women do come back because they don't want to whatever. But right. um, getting the recovery back after a relapse I find to be very, very difficult very for difficult. women. So when you're thinking about treatment planning for a woman, you need to think about helping them with coping strategies and stress reduction techniques, assistance in dealing with some of the barriers that they have to treatment and recovery, and to help them understand um, the language of AA and help them understand uh, ways to get support and overcome shame and guilt related to their disease. Men seem to do better with the actual AA principles because people, places, and things are often the things that are going to get the men in trouble. And so avoiding those things, avoiding the football game where all your buddies are going to be there drinking or the golf course or whatever is going to be much more helpful to the guys, avoiding the, the actual cues, the environmental cues and triggers going to be more helpful to the man in terms of coping and preventing relapse than it will be for the women. Mm. All need stress reduction, all need support systems, all need help with their medical, their physical and psychological problems, but there are some very distinct differences and we need to honor those differences and find ways to help women with their recovery. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see all of you next week on Detailing Addiction. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.